we lose perspective sometimes. We don't look, we don't just live in the here and now. We don't just live in the moment. We have all of eternity facing us. And sometimes it's hard to look ahead like that, but it's something that we must do. We can't lose focus that there's more than just right now. The story that Avery read this morning about Mary and Martha, uh, I think it helps give us a model as to where we should be and maybe where we are, even as the modern day church in the world today. Because when you see in the story, you see Mary and Martha, Jesus has come to their house and Mary is sitting there at Jesus' feet taking in every word that he has to say. Martha is running around like crazy because there we've got company and there are things that need to be done. And so what does she do? She goes up to Jesus and she tells him, Martha's not doing her part. Make her get up and get busy. And do you remember Jesus tells her, Mary's chosen the right part. You're worried about so many things and you're hustling and bustling about so many things. But maybe you should just sit down here by Mary. Mary chose the good part. You you should always read scripture in context. And I think that uh, this particular one, when you read back away, you get quite an illumination because you see back at the beginning of the 10th chapter, Jesus has uh, has called together 70 disciples. Disciples are those that had were following him. They were listening to him. They heard what he had to say and they were ready. They were prepared. And so he sent them out to the surrounding areas. He told them the field is white for the harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send workers into the field. He sent them out. And interestingly, he told them, whenever you go into a city, you go into a house and you uh, uh, ask the Lord's peace upon it. If they receive you, you stay there till it's time for you to leave. You don't go house to house. You stay in that house. And whenever you finished in that community, if they have received what you have to say, tell them, the kingdom of God has come near you this at this time. If they don't receive what you have to say, step out into the street, shake the dust from your feet, and then tell them this is a testimony that you didn't receive, but still the kingdom of God has come near you. Well, they went out and they told them to go out and to heal the sick and to do a whole lot of other things. Uh, uh, I said, whatever city you enter, they will receive you. Eat what is set before you. Heal those who are in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. And then these 70 come back rejoicing. And they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And notice what he tells them. He says, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this 
that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Well, immediately after that, he's teaching and a scribe asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, uh, what's it written in the law? How does it read? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbors yourself. He said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But then he says, well, who is my neighbor? You know, some people want to just argue with Jesus. Who is my neighbor? And so he tells the story of the good Samaritan and he makes it clear who your neighbor is. And that is the person that you come across that has a need that you can do something about. Three people came up to that, some, to that uh, guy that was hurt on the side of the road that day. Two walked on by. One stopped. And he was saying, and this is something that we need to see, that our neighbor is the person that we come across that has a need that we can do something about. And if we miss that, we can be involved in a lot of other good works and good things. But if we're not paying attention to the people around us and aren't sensitive to the needs, to the hurts, to the hopes of those right around us, even in our own household, we have missed the second commandment because it's those, it starts at home. It starts with how you treat your husband, how you treat your wife, how you treat your kids, how you talk about them. And this goes into what I really, this past week, I was just uh, flabbergasted when I started seeing little children hurt so badly in the news, so badly that I hate to even describe what happened. One little girl, 10 years old, her mama told her she's going to have a birthday party. It was her birthday. She's going to have a party when she got home from school. The mom and her boyfriend shot her full of amphetamine, killed her, and did other horrible, horrible things to her. When that hit me, I just saw, it reminded me of the evil that is in this world today. I ran across another news article where the police had been called to a home where a little four-year-old girl was being beaten and abused. She had bruises all over. and they, The police asked her what her name was. She said, idiot. Four years old. That's all, that's all she knew to be called was idiot. There is a world around us that is filled with evil. Let's face it. And this evil grows worse every day. And we know that this isn't right. And something within us cries out, we need to do something about this. But what can we do? And this is what I want to talk to you about today is the fact that you need to understand what you can't do before you can start figuring out what you can do. When I was... uh uh, first went to A&M. Uh, the first thing they made us do was take a swim test. They wouldn't just check. They wouldn't take our word that we could swim. 
We had all line up there at the big Olympic pool. And we, if we could swim the length of the pool, then we could take any other PE course we wanted to. But if we couldn't swim the length of the pool, we had to take swimming as our first PE course. Well, I couldn't understand. Well, just, just let's look. check it off on a form until I watched what happened. There were guys that would get up there. They would get right to the edge and the coach would get ready to blow his whistles. I can't swim. I can't swim. And they would get right to the brink before they would admit that they could not swim. There was one guy, the coach blew his whistle. He dove off in the water and he splashed and he floundered and he splashed and he got to the middle of the pool. He got halfway across just just from agitating the water. And then he started bobbing. And I always heard, you know, once they go to the third time, that's it, man. It's six times. This guy was still bobbing. And he was coming up yelling, help, help. And I watched the coaches just sit there with their hands on their hips, looking at him, then looking at each other, looking back at him. Finally, one of them looked at him. He said, stand up. (laughs) He was in water waist deep and he was about to drown. You know, we need to um, admit what we cannot do. But sometimes people have a hard time accepting or admitting what they cannot do. I never realized it was so strong until I saw that. But uh, anyway, we've got to admit that. And one of the things that, let's face it, that we cannot do, we cannot fix this world. There are people that seem to think that we can, but we can't fix it. There's no way we can fix it. Oh, we wish we could. And we know, like I say, something within us welds up and we know it's not right. And we feel like we have to do something. But what we do makes all the difference in the world. And I think that this picture of Mary and Martha is a good example of this sort of thing, because Here Mary is, her focus is on Jesus. She's listening to what he has to say. Just like these disciples were that he sent out after the 70. They listened to what he said. They were commissioned by him. They were sent out in his power and his authority, and they made a difference everywhere they went. Martha, while Mary was sitting there receiving stuff that was going to make a difference in her life so she could make a difference in the world around her, Martha was hustling and bustling around and uh, she just knew what needed to be done and she needed to get it done and Mary ought to be helping her. There are a lot of people in the church, in the modern church today, that they know something needs to be done. And they're hustling around and they're trying to do what they can. And they get very agitated and very frustrated when other people are trying to call people's attention to Jesus. Two sides. There are two different things we need to understand. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we hustle and bustle and try, we are not going to fix this world. This world is broken, but there is something that we can do. There's something we should be. Let's face it. We cannot eliminate evil from this world. I wish I could. I wish I could fix it so no other child 
would ever be hurt in this world again. Oh, I wish I could do that. It breaks my heart to see how people treat each other in this world today. We cannot eliminate pain or suffering or sickness. We can't eliminate poverty no matter how hard we try. And the Lord's made it clear. He said the poor will always be with you. We're never going to stamp out poverty. That doesn't mean we're not supposed to help the people we come across. I'm just saying we need to look and check where our focus is. We can never overcome death. We can never, we can postpone it, but inevitably we're all going to die unless the Lord comes before that time comes for us. We can't bring about world peace. We cannot stop all the wars in the world today. And if we look in the Bible, we see there are going to be wars and rumors of wars up until the very last day before the final judgment. There's going to be battle and war. But then is going to come that final judgment when all the followers of Christ are going to be lined up, are going to be there, and they're going to be surrounded by the enemy. The Lord's going to speak one word and all the enemy will be gone. And then the Lord will establish a new world, a new heaven and a new earth. And in that new heaven and new earth, there'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more abuse of little kids. There'll be none of those things anymore. The old things are passed away and all things will be made new. But it's not going to happen because we, even the church, bring it about. If we're focusing on trying to uh, eliminate evil, if we let's face it, all the politicians in the world can never eliminate these things that we're talking about. No matter who you put in office, it's not going to change the fact that we live in a broken world and they're not going to be able to fix it. They can make a difference, but they're not going to be able to fix it. And so what do we do? We know that something needs to be done. And I hinted at it last week. and I just want to make it perfectly clear. We need to make sure that we commit to a holy life. We need to realize that either we are a part of the problem or we're a part of the solution. And if you have not committed your life to uh, eschewing evil, to turning your back on it and, uh, and pursuing holiness in your life, holiness of heart and mind and life, if you're not pursuing that in every area of your life, in every place that you are every day, whether you're sitting at a computer or whether you're sitting uh, having coffee with somebody, if you're not pursuing holiness, being in a right relationship with God and cultivating that relationship with him, then you are a part of the problem. You're a part of the same problem that caused that little girl to be killed. You're part of the same problem that caused that little three-year-old to drown. 
You're part of that same problem until you have repented and turned from evil and don't want to have anything to do with it or the one who brought it into this world anymore. It says in scripture that whenever Jesus came, that uh, uh, in Acts 30, 10, 38 says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And then in 1 John 3, 8, uh, John says, the one who practices sin is of the devil for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And then listen to this. The son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. What I'm trying to say is we're on one side or the other. There's saints and ain'ts. There's no middle ground. You're either holy. You're one of the holy ones that have been bought by his precious blood. You have been cleansed and washed and you're now living for him or you ain't. It's one or the other. There's only, there's no middle ground. There's no hope. So you either know so or you don't know and you're either, you don't know him. It's one way or the other. There's no middle ground. Now there are a lot of people that try to tell you there is middle ground and, uh, and when we want us to all want the church to live in the middle ground. And so that's why they're saying, Oh, you can't tell somebody they're living in sin. That might hurt their feelings. That might offend them. Look, one of the most loving things that you can do is tell someone if they're living in sin because you may spare them an eternity in hell. Is it loving to spare them a moment of having their feelings hurt if that's what waits them something much, much worse on down the line? If you really love them, you're going to tell them about Jesus. If you really love them, you see, this is just it. We can't solve the problem, but we know someone who can. And we won't even begin to talk to him until we are committed to him. How many of y'all had eggs and either sausage or bacon this morning before you came to church? Let's see your hands. Nobody has sausage or eggs in the morning anymore? Let's see. I've got some over here. So, okay, all right, finally some people admitting, yes, I ate that cholesterol stuff. You know, anyway, but okay. The thing is, if you had uh, sausage and eggs or bacon and eggs this morning, the chicken contributed to your breakfast. The hog was committed to it. Do you see the difference? <laughs> you can't just contribute to the kingdom of God. You've got to be committed to it. Your whole life has to go into it. Do you see? It's so important. It's so important. So the thing is, but once we are committed to him, then going out the way that he wants us to go out, we will make a difference. This is the way it's been from the beginning of the Methodist church. In the beginning, the church started because there were those that were concerned and wanted to flee the wrath to come. They knew one of these days the Lord was going to come back and they were not ready for his return. And they wanted to be ready. And that's why classes got started was so that people could learn and be ready for the Lord's return.
Well, folks, we are so much closer to the Lord's return today. Everything is falling into place. Things haven't come about the way that back in the 50s and 60s, people thought things were going to go where it said in the song, for the darkness will turn to dawning and the dawning to noonday light and Christ's great kingdom will come on earth, the kingdom of love and light. Back then they were expecting, the church was expecting the kingdom of God to be just the church covering all the earth and everybody just going to live in harmony and you know, sing like the Coke song or whatever it was, you know, like teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. That's not going to happen. We see that now. Instead, scripture is coming about just exactly the way that John Wesley said it was going to. And he, whenever he said that day, he was talking about the day when the dead in Christ would have already risen and there was going to be the general resurrection where everybody was standing there and this time of judgment would happen. And then following that, then the new heaven and the new earth. The early Methodists wanted to be ready for the judgment. They wanted to be ready for the new heaven and the new earth. And they wanted to be a part of it. And nowadays, we've gotten to this point to where we've adopted this uh, thing in our, uh, in 2008, we changed our uh, mission statement from making disciples of Jesus Christ to making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And the thing is, we jump over the disciple-making part and go straight to, we're going to change the world. Anything that we do isn't going to be enough. We need to get back to where we are making disciples for Jesus Christ because, you see, he is the one who's going to fix it all. He's the one who ultimately is going to fix it all. He can't stand seeing what's happening to these little kids. And I think that whenever he returns with a shout, that shout is probably going to be enough. Enough of the pain and suffering. Enough of the little children being hurt. Enough of this stuff. It's time. And then he's going to set things right. And we need to be ready at that time. But once we commit to the one who can change this world, to the one who will one day change this world, he begins by transforming us. He transforms our relation to this world. He transforms our relationship to other people. He makes his power available to us to make a difference in the lives of others around us so that my, they might also become disciples of the world. I've shared with you some of the different things that we've seen happen. Uh, as far as he, he sent them out to heal the sick, we need to be willing to lay hands on the sick and pray for them. Uh, whenever you do that and the Lord answers that prayer, people are one to Christ. You know that? People come to know him as Lord and Savior. When Joel was 10 years old, my little boy, and was uh, staying at his house, and a little boy broke his foot, and they were too poor to even take him to the emergency room, and the, the big brother was laying there crying with his foot, and little Joel, 10 years old, said, uh, you know, Jesus can heal your foot. He said, he can? He said, yeah. You want me to pray for you? He said, Yeah. Joel laid hands on that little boy, 12 years old, and prayed for him. The little boy's foot was healed. 
that family came to know Jesus Christ because they saw God's power at work in this world today. I told you about the Iranian lady uh, living in Iran that uh, her friend, they had tried for three years to conceive she and her husband. They couldn't have children. And her Christian friend said, I'm going to pray. It's okay if I pray for you that you can conceive and have a child. And this Muslim lady said, okay. So the Christian friend prayed for this Muslim lady. She went to the doctor later when she wasn't feeling good and discovered three months later, she went to the doctor, discovered she was three months pregnant. That got her attention. And all of a sudden, this young lady who's now carrying a child that she never thought she'd be able to have, discovered that there was a God that really cared about her. Not an angry and vicious God, but a loving God. And she's just overwhelmed today. They're living here in the States today because it's illegal to do what? To become Christian there. So they live here in the States today so they can continue to serve the God that loves them. Well, we can't eliminate poverty but we're supposed to make a difference in the lives of everybody that we can. We can't overcome death, but we can introduce others to the one who can give them and will give them just as he will give us eternal life. And we can't bring about world peace, but it is going to come. It begins with us. All of a sudden we become not a part of the problem, that's causing all this ugliness in the world today. But we become a part of the solution in a very different way than you would if you just decided you were going to choose sides because we're on the third side, not this side or that side, but the Lord's side. His way is better than any way that people can come across. So I want to encourage you to... uh, Just search your hearts and make sure that uh, you have committed to being his, that you have committed to being a part of the solution, not a part of the problem any, any more. Martha didn't know who she was fussing at whenever she was fussing at Jesus, did she? Because she hadn't taken time to listen. I encourage you, take time to listen so you'll know who you're talking to. I'll close with this story. There was a battleship that was at sea in bad weather. The captain was on the bridge. It was foggy. Just after dark, the lookout spotted a light on the starboard side. The captain asked if it was steady or moving. The lookout replied that the light was steady, meaning they were headed on a collision course with that ship. The captain ordered the lookout to signal the other ship this message. Change course 20 degrees. We are on collision course. The signal came back. Advisable for you to change course. The captain signaled, I am a captain. Change course 20 degrees. The other person replied, I am a seaman, second class. You better change course 20 degrees. The captain was furious. He sent back, I am a battleship. Change course. The signal came back. I am a lighthouse. Your call. (laughs) It was going to do him no good to tell that lighthouse what to do. 
it does us no good to try to tell Jesus what to do. Instead, we need to be sure that we heed what he says and make sure that we have heard his call and have changed our course to the direction that he wants us on. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.